Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today we have a nuclear revenge story against a college roommate. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, witless friends embarrassed me in public, so I sentenced him to a rehabilitation camp. The most regretful day of my life was the day I introduced a stranger to my guru. If I was not so excited that she was touring the United States of America, then maybe I wouldn't have shared my joy with someone I had just met. And this guru was coming all the way from India. She was like a shrink holy, sacred, and honored among the people who shared the same interest as me. I shared my eagerness to her with this stranger. His name was Pius. As I was telling him how sincerely overlooked I was, he asked me why. I could forgive his question because only the enlightened could indeed understand the wisdom I stood to gain from their one encounter, and how my life was surely going to change for the better, so I told him. I told him everything about my wreck of a life and how much I needed help. Though he followed my words and went to see my guru, he turned around and betrayed me to her. I felt embarrassed, but I couldn't leave him without feeling the pain he caused me. I met Pius on my way to write a professional exam. He was walking there and so was I. We had both studied well, so we took the time to revise with each other and ask each other some questions. I figured out how intelligent he was too, just like me. Pius is an average height man who wore glasses and simple clothes. I was also dressed in simple clothes that day, a grey polo top with blue jeans, black belt and sandals. Pius was in a white and black vertical striped shirt. He tucked it into his black trousers and wore black shoes. My thoughts about his clothes were that it was exactly my style. If I wasn't wearing what I was wearing that day, maybe I would have shown up exactly like him. We even both wore glasses. Maybe these were reasons why I was so drawn to trust him. I'm no psychologist, I'm an accountant. We don't read people, we read numbers. When Pius and I waited for our turn in line to enter the hall, he commented on how ready I was for the exam. I thanked him thinking that he was saying that because of the questions I answered with him and not because of the smile on my face. Because since that week began, I had been unable to shake away the eagerness that was too evident from my face. It was when Pius asked me if I was so excited for the exam that I understood his misinterpretation. I told him that I was not happy to be writing the exam. Of course, I badly wanted to be a chartered accountant so badly. It was more than that. He was intrigued and I continued. That day, if I'd gone straight to the point and mentioned that my guru was coming to America for a tour, then probably he wouldn't have been so compelled to join me on the mission to find that guru. But I started with her teachings. I started with how her changes help hundreds across the globe to fare well in this world because every soul is here, but for a short duration of time in time. I talked about her softness and gentleness and how her words of wisdom have held modern day philosophers in serious contemplation for hours. Pius was at this point lost in whatever I had to say, that if he had not read intensively for that exam, he would have forgotten everything and remembered only my guru's name because I said it far too many times in the course of our conversation. I lit a build in his head when I talked about meditation. He said that he'd tried that before, and it was the best decision that he's ever made in his life. 
I told him that there were far more better decisions he could continue to make all the days of his life. I spoke as someone who had met this guru face to face when truly all I've heard about her were stories from those who were her disciples and those who had gone for her other tours in the past. He asked me where I found her or how I knew about her. This was a personal story but I left out all the private details and told him that I'd not been a devotee for that long. I hadn't followed the guru that long, which was surprising for Pius because he saw the zeal in my eyes, like I'd followed for over 10 years. I wasn't even raised in the way of any religion. My parents could not care less and every day was like every other day at home. The only holidays we honored were those political ones like Independence Day. The only things we celebrated were New Year's and birthdays, which were actually New Year's of a particular person. We continued to talk, but there wasn't enough time for me to tell Pius all about seeing the world from his heart instead of his eyes, which are on the head. I would have torn out a piece of paper to draw pictures for him that portray dimensions, the human being, our mind, balance between this world and the one of spirits, balance between male and female, balance between emotions and reasoning, balance all the same. At this point, Pius was fixed. If it were not to come for the exams without our phones, I would have whipped out my cell phone and showed him exactly what was meant by every concept I told him. I could have even found time to show him videos of my meditation, the little corner of my house dedicated to my guru and her pictures. There were also other materials available online for study and referral, although like other beliefs and tradition, old methods were far better than newer technology. The maximum experience. But I never talk too much of this because I'm not that radical about ancient and old methods. Finally, we were called to write our exams. Pius waited for me after. I was half expecting him to, but half surprised that he did. We had only just met. More importantly, he wasn't just waiting for me to grab lunch before heading home or exchanging contacts. He had more questions of my guru to answer, which I was excited to provide a response for to the best of my knowledge. Some of the things he asked were too high for me and I told him that only the guru could answer. I proposed that he should find her. It sounded like talking about finding a god, but I mean that he should look out for her when she comes to the states. He should even plan to meet her, just like I planned to meet her. It was already in my schedule. Then he asked again how I met my guru. How and what series of events led me to realize that I needed to find this woman. I told him about my search for reason and purpose all this while. We were walking to a fast food place to get something to eat because the exam was strenuous and we needed sustenance to regain our strength. As if we had been best friends for the longest while, I started opening up to him. As if I had arrested our friend true and true to reveal that Pius was one to be trusted, I thought of him like I thought of myself, and so I shared. Just like if you believed someone else was going through the same things you are and that if you shared it with them, it would help them somehow find strength. And if you give them the solution with that, you've helped them to solve their problems halfway. So I gave Pius an entire window into my heart. I told him how I used to be a promiscuous young kid who was smart and so believed that his geniusness was going to find a way for him in the world. I was good with the ladies, a sweet talker with pretty eyes. I was good with school, perhaps the only thing I wasn't good at was sports. But then when you're like me, people begin to depend on you for wisdom and it won't be long until you realize that you have none. You think you know, but you don't. You're looked up to by others, but when you search deep within, you are empty. You wonder what they're seeing in you because the comfort and solace they find, you are void of. 
It's like you're a light to others, but in darkness yourself. That is the worst feeling ever. And I remembered it started in high school and followed me up until I graduated college. I looked for various methods to feel good about myself. After all, I was still the genius, still the valedictorian and the best graduating student of my department. All these things should have been enough for me, but I found no meaning in them. Indeed, the downfall of a genius is his intelligence. That inevitability becomes his flaw, his undoing, his handicap. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Storytime is sponsored by BetterHelp. Nearly everyone at some point in their life will struggle with their mental health, whether that's something stressful at work, in a personal relationship, or something else. I know that I really struggled with anxiety in my early 20s, and therapy was a massive help for me. That's why I'm a massive fan of therapy, and today's sponsor, BetterHelp. If there is anything in your life, big or small, that is negatively affecting you, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. It's an online therapy service that, after finishing a small questionnaire, will match you with a licensed therapist, where you can book appointments that match up with your schedule at any place or any time. And if you feel like you're not bonding with your therapist, you can switch at any point for free. Also, therapy isn't just if you're struggling with mental health. If you're looking for guidance or ways to improve your social skills, life, or relationships, it's a great judgment-free way of doing that. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com StorytimePod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash StorytimePod. I looked at Pius. I started drinking, I said. It was true. I became a midnight drunk and I only did it at night, not because I wasn't miserable during the day, but because my misery gave me money as I worked my job during the day. But at night, I could sink into that dark hole that clamored for my soul and for the entire day. Because at night, I was alone if not for the times that I brought women to keep me company in my bedroom. Different women each night. I couldn't keep up with their names. They saw me for the wreck that I was, but they didn't care because they too were not far from that slippery slope. I had come to an agreement with my demons. I would spend the entire day anticipating, then finally give in to their demands at nightfall. Hooking up was that fulfillment for me, and if I went days without it, I could not think. The only remedies were drugs and toxic beverages, so I plunged myself into numbing my mind. I thought too much. I knew that was the problem because my mind gave me the greatest nightmares than any other thing. I wasn't plagued by other people's remarks, it was more of my own self. I was tormenting myself each day and only when I'd been with a woman and I callously drudged out my drunken thoughts to her did I receive any form of ease from the misery. I was deep in drugs when I found my guru, I told Pius. 
She saved me. By that time I was done with my narration, we were done with her food. Pius was wide-eyed and staring at me. I didn't know what else was expected of him to do. His eyes held amazement as much as mine did amusement. But I'd bared my heart out to him, like this was the confession window of a church. I couldn't think why, but I trusted him. For another few days, we kept in touch and reminded each other of our date to meet the guru. Before then, we had attended meditation classes together. Now, Pius was a real brother because our belief binded us. On that day, Pius and I were unable to meet up before going for the teaching the guru was going to attend. So we went separately, but we arrived at the same time. Unfortunately, we didn't sit together because seats were assigned in the order that you registered. In other words, Pius had to find his way through the entire event without someone to put him through properly. Then it became the time for the announcer to tell the crowd who among the hundred of us were selected to have a special lunch with the guru. This was a random pick, as much as the committee insisted that nothing was a random coincidence but divinely dated. We were still not going to be selected for any achievement at all, we just had to submit our name to qualify to be chosen. Then the universe will decide if that was our fate or not. When I heard my name, my heart skipped out of my body. I was trembling when I stood up, going towards the front. Then I noticed Pius was also walking from another end of the room, but we were moving in the same direction. It took me a few seconds to boot that Pius had also been chosen for the private lunch. I was overjoyed that this, my friend that I introduced to the practice, was also going to experience more depth during the lunch, where we could ask the guru more insightful questions. During the lunch, I had expected Pius to be quiet and watchful, but he was the complete opposite, babbling like one who had never learned anything about self-restraint. He wasn't sitting beside me. If not, I would have cautioned him not to, but he was opposite me. If he did catch my eye, I don't know, because he did not slow down. Everyone was on the table for a chance to talk, but when it was my turn, Pius blabbered about everything I told him about me, as if I was the filthiest one among us. The table gasped. My lunch lost its taste in my mouth. At different points in my story, Pius told, my guru looked at me. Then she asked if it was true, and I had to humbly nod my head. The women, the drugs, the sex, the pride, the drinking, the partying, the intoxication. It was all true, but it seemed nobody else there had been through as much as I did, because all eyes were on me as I bowed my head at the food. The only person that offered me hope was my guru but even her antidote was much like punishment. I would think her sending me away for some thorough cleansing in the mediation camp with other teachers was a sanction, but no, it was a cleansing. She said I would not totally heal with just the weekly meetings and daily devotions in the corner of my room. There was more to learn about myself, and I would find it in the camp. Though I am grateful for the guru, I was seriously angry with Pius. Then I asked my guru what should be done to one who does not know how to keep his mouth shut and has not learned restraint in either his belly or his tongue. Pius received, more or less, a sentence to a longer amount of days practicing mindful power over his own body. This invitation he quickly denied. He called it a waste of time and that he didn't need any time in the camp. He thought it would waste his time. He had work and all that and so he didn't want to stay a month away from society. I frowned at this, but I prayed for him. I asked God to help him see. So the funniest thing happened. I was rounding up my time away in the camp when one of my teachers asked me what must be done to the one who made me end up there. I told him that I wanted Pius to also get into meditation camp. He told me that it was in my hand. 
I thought that somehow the universe would align things together for Pius to realize that he was in big trouble and needed that time away. I thought it would happen on its own, however it was truly in my hand just like the wise teacher said. After I got out of the camp and resumed my days in the office, one such day we were having an interview. My exam results came out and I was promoted in my place of work. Other people from outside the company were also applying to fill up the post I occupied. Miraculously, Pius was chosen. I didn't know he applied and he didn't know I worked there. I was shocked to learn that he was to begin work in my company, but before he came in as a fully employed staff, I asked for a meeting with all the new hires that I was to work with. Of course, that meant Pius. Then I remembered the wise teacher's sayings. I remembered how Pius blatantly embarrassed me in front of my guru and the entire table, talking highly of himself and too condescending of me. Then I told him that for him to resume working in that post, he had to complete one month away on the meditation campground. He was shocked, but I stood my ground and he really wanted that job. Nothing was more satisfying than that. Both seeing him go through what he put me through, and me knowing that it would make him better and I would trust him more after the process was over. Pius emerged a more cautious man. I will not tell you what that meditation camp entails, but I do believe that he will never be crossing any other line as long as he worked there with me. Like I said, some of the methods of the guru are quite archaic and are foreign to the average westerner. He got what he deserved, and it was served by me. So, as an average westerner, I'm hearing this entire story and I'm like, not gonna lie, I don't think any of that sounds particularly for me. Like OP suggested, I don't know what this meditation camp or rehabilitation camp OP's mentioning actually does, but I've heard some horrible stories about some forms of rehabilitation camp. All I can say is, I'm good. Our next story is, my revenge against my college roommate. Many people tell you about the good part of having someone to come home to when you're in college. Even if it's not a dorm, it would be a joint rented apartment. But what they never tell us about it is how annoying it can be to always come home to someone in your apartment, in your space. Imagine coming home after a long day, hoping for silence but finding chaos instead. The sink overflowing with dirty dishes sits as evidence of perpetual neglect. Laughter and loud music pierce the walls at odd hours, shattering any hope of peaceful rest. Borrowed items vanish without a trace, and unexpected guests become regular occurrences. Attempts at communication lead to dead ends, replaced by passive-aggressive notes left in common areas. With each passing day, frustration simmers beneath the surface. Stress gnaws at your patience, and the constant turmoil takes a toll on your well-being. Living with bad roommates feels like an ongoing narrative of patience tested, boundaries crossed, and hopes for a peaceful home dashed against the rocks of discord. This is not a me thing, there is a track record of this occurrence, and my experience was not so far from this. Stepping into my college dorm room for the first time, I felt a mix of excitement and nervousness. The room was a blank canvas, waiting to be filled with memories, laughter, and shared experiences. I'd envisioned late-night study sessions, movie nights, and endless conversations with my roommate Sally. Little did I know that our journey together would be far from what I had imagined. Sally welcomed me with a bright smile that put me at ease immediately. Her warmth and openness made me believe that we were off to a great start. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. We quickly bonded over our similar tastes in music, movies, and even our favorite campus hangouts. Our shared interests made our conversations flow effortlessly. As time went on, I couldn't help but notice subtle changes in our dynamic. The friendly atmosphere we had initially shared seemed to carry an underlying tension. Sally's smiles sometimes faltered and her laughter didn't ring as true as before. It was though a thin veil covered something deeper within her. Despite these glimpses of unease, I remained hopeful that things would smooth out. I attributed Sally's moments of withdrawal to the stresses of college life, but as time went on, I began to sense a growing divide between us. Our differences, which had once felt charming, now revealed themselves as sources of irritation. As the weeks slipped by, the harmonious picture I'd painted of dorm life with Sally began to crack. The initial glow of friendship had given way to a reality where minor disagreements and irritations started to erode the foundation of our relationship. It was like watching a beautiful painting slowly fade, one brushstroke at a time. Sally's spontaneity clashed with my need for structure and organization. The first signs of trouble emerged when I'd returned to our dorm after a long day of classes, only to find the room transformed into a whirlwind of chaos. Clothes were strewn across the floor, textbooks were haphazardly stacked on the desk, and a general air of disorder greeted me. What once seemed like her carefree nature now felt like a lack of consideration for our shared space. At first, I tried to brush it off. After all, differences were to be expected in any roommate situation. But soon, the irritation grew stronger with each instance. One morning, I found myself stepping on a forgotten chip bag that had been left on the floor, sending my patients plummeting. Another time, I discovered that the milk I'd been saving for my cereal had mysteriously disappeared, only to be replaced by an empty carton in the fridge. Our personalities clashed not only in terms of tidiness, but also in our routines and preferences. While I thrived on quiet study sessions and cherished the silence of our room, Sally seemed to view our shared space as a bustling hub of activity. Late night gatherings with friends, impromptu dance sessions to her favorite songs, these became common occurrences, often at the most inconvenient times for my study schedule. Our conversations, once seamless, started to hit rough patches. Simple discussions could quickly escalate into debates over the smallest of matters, whether it was choosing a movie to watch or deciding on the ideal temperature for our room. Our contrasting opinions seemed to magnify the growing discord between us. Yet it wasn't just our different habits that were at play. Our personalities diverged more deeply than I'd initially realized. I was someone who sought solace and routine, finding comfort and predictability. For Sally, every day was a blank canvas waiting to be splashed with the unexpected. Her impulsive nature often led her down paths that I wouldn't dare to tread. This contrast became increasingly evident as our disagreements mounted. While I meticulously planned my days, Sally thrived in the spontaneity of college life. Late night food runs, last minute party invitations, she embraced it all with open arms. To me, her choices sometimes seemed reckless. A disregard for the consequences that sent ripples into my meticulously structured world. But she couldn't give two cares about what I thought about her ways, and the more our personalities clashed, the more the strain in our relationship grew. 
Unspoken frustrations hung in the air like a heavy fog. What had started as minor disagreements had evolved into a situation where we were no longer on the same wavelength. As I lay in my bed at night, I couldn't help but wonder how we had gone from laughing over shared jokes to this state of constant tension. Our room, which had been meant to be a space of camaraderie and support, now felt like a battleground of unspoken grievances. Caught amid this growing discord, I found myself grappling with conflicting emotions. Part of me longed to restore the harmony we had once shared, to find a way to bridge the gap between our personalities and habits. But another part of me, weary from the daily clashes, began to consider the possibility that some rifts were too deep to mend. But it got worse, and I think I kind of had an upper hand in how our communication became a shadow of itself. The tension that had been building between Sally and me seemed to gain momentum, like a snowball rolling downhill, growing larger and more formidable with each passing day. What had started as minor disagreements and irritations had now evolved into a series of interactions laced with subtle provocations. It began innocently enough, with a few playful jabs and sarcastic comments exchanged during our conversations, a harmless jest here, a sly remark there. It was all part of the ebb and flow of roommate banter, but beneath the surface, the intentions carried a sharper edge, a hint of the growing discord that lay between us. The first sign that our interactions were taking a more mischievous turn was a morning when I woke up to find that my alarm clock had mysteriously disappeared. I searched high and low, my agitation mounting as I realized that the clock was nowhere to be found. Just as my panic was about to set in, I heard muffled giggles from Sally's bed. There, hidden beneath her pillow, was my alarm clock, its persistent buzzing muffled by layers of fabric. It was one thing to try and make me go late to my morning class as payback for asking her to tell her friends to leave because they were making noise and I just wanted to sleep. But it was another thing to forget to pull out the battery from the placeholder before hiding it underneath her bed. The worst part was that although the muffled sound was able to wake me up, perhaps because my subconscious waited for the sound daily, Sally slept like a baby. There were a few twists and turns, but nothing more than a baby being rocked asleep. I couldn't help but chuckle at the audacity of her prank. A clever twist on the usual hide-and-seek games we played when things were still pretty much friendly in the room. The frustration that had been building within me seemed to melt away, replaced by a grudging admiration for her ingenuity. Little did I know that this innocent exchange marked the beginning of a series of pranks that would redefine our relationship. It was one prank. One harmless prank that did not do much harm to me. Then it got worse. Days, then the weeks came and the pranks escalated in complexity and impact. Our room became a canvas for our escalating rivalry each new prank and attempt to outdo the previous one. What had once been playful jests now took on a more calculated edge, each move designed to provoke a reaction. One evening, I returned to our room to find my favorite study notes missing from my desk. Panic surged through me, but before I could voice my concerns, Sally appeared, holding the notes hostage as she grinned mischievously. I couldn't decide whether to be irritated or impressed by her audacity. Eventually, a compromise was reached. I would have to complete one of her assignments in exchange for the safe return of my notes. But was it safely returned? Of course not. It came back with half of the pages smothered with an orange-red substance that I couldn't quite make out. The boundaries of our pranks continued to blur. Sticky notes with witty one-liners covered our walls, transforming our room into a battleground of humor and wit. 
My shampoo was replaced with hair dye, turning my morning shower into a colorful surprise. In retaliation, I filled her pillowcase with confetti, creating a celebratory explosion when she fluffed her pillow that evening. Despite the growing absurdity of our pranks, there was an unspoken understanding that this was our way of communicating. The initial irritations that had driven a wedge between us were now channeled into a playful rivalry. Each prank an attempt to get under the other's skin while simultaneously offering a moment of shared amusement. But just as our pranks escalated in intricacy, so did the underlying tensions. What had once been a cathartic release of frustration now seemed to feed the growing discord. The laughter that had once accompanied our pranks now felt forced. The camaraderie slowly being replaced by a sense of competition. As the pranks grew more elaborate, I found myself questioning the path we were on. What had begun as an innocent way to bridge the gap between us had evolved into a whirlwind of manipulation and retaliation. The room that was meant to be a sanctuary from the pressures of college life now felt like a war zone. Each new prank a reminder of the unresolved conflicts that loomed over our relationship. The line between lighthearted rivalry and genuine animosity had blurred, and I had to decide whether to continue down this path or to take a step back and confront the underlying issues that had led us here. The elaborate pranks had given our interactions a chaotic energy, but beneath the surface, the simmering tensions remained, waiting for the moment when they could no longer be ignored. The tension in our dorm room had reached its zenith, a palpable energy that crackled in the air like a gathering storm. The pranks and provocations had evolved from playful banter to a high-stakes battle of wills. I knew that the breaking point was imminent. The undercurrent of competition had eroded the foundation of our relationship, leaving us teetering on the edge of confrontation. With a sense of both trepidation and determination, I decided to orchestrate a complex prank that would expose Sally's vulnerability and force us to confront the reality of our situation. The plan required meticulous planning and careful execution. I spent hours researching Sally's interests and habits that she hadn't told me about, trying to find the perfect angle that it would hit where it hurt the most. I had noticed that she cherished a vintage weathered journal she often wrote in late at night, a repository for her thoughts and feelings. It was a window into her inner world, a place of solace she'd held dear. My plan revolved around that journal, a tool that would reveal the raw underbelly of our rivalry. Late one evening, while Sally was out with friends, I set my plan into motion. I replicated the journal's cover, crafted a fake entry that hinted at my frustration and resentment, and carefully placed it where she would find it. As the day unfolded, I could feel the weight of anticipation pressing down on me. I wasn't sure my plan would achieve the desired outcome. I didn't know what to expect. All I knew was that something had to be done to put an end to the madness, and if she wasn't going to do it, I had no other choice than to step up. When Sally returned to our room that evening, her face paled as she discovered the journal sitting innocently on my desk. I could guess what her first thoughts were. I had gone through her journal. I had read every single entry as a part of the back and forth prank we had going on. I would expect that she must have thought I'd learned something grave from what she had entered into the journal. And to be honest, I kind of wished I had because her expression made me understand that there were things, better things, that I could have used to hurt her between the pages of the book, but I couldn't have. 
I remembered how hurt I'd felt when my mother had read through my locked diary at the age of nine and called me out on the kiss I'd fantasized with my crush at that time. I knew the impact of reading through people's thoughts, so I didn't do that, but I wish I had. She walked over to my table, gave me a dirty look, and picked up the journal before moving to her side of the dorm room. I could see her fingers tremble as she flipped through the pages. Her expression was a mix of confusion, hurt, and betrayal. But I didn't do what she feared that I had. I watched from a distance, my heart pounding with a combination of guilt and a twisted sense of vindication. She flipped through each page, perhaps searching for a page that would show signs of being ripped off or something. I don't quite know, but she flipped. And flipped. Till she got to the last entered date. That day. She might not have been a habitual person, but with the one thing she had a routine, nightly entry, and it was not yet night. I had made the entry on her behalf. Her voice trembled, likewise, as she confronted me, demanding an explanation for the words she had read. I hesitated for a moment, my resolve wavering in the face of her genuine distress. But then, with a steadying breath, I told her what I had done. I told her I skimmed to the end of the book to scribble my thoughts on it. It was a pivotal moment, a reckoning that would force us to confront the tangled web of emotions that had woven itself between us. The air in our dorm room was heavy with a mix of tension and anticipation as Sally and I sat down for a heart-to-heart conversation. The walls that had once separated us through pranks and provocations now seemed to melt away, leaving only an unspoken understanding of the significance of this moment. As we began to speak, it was as if a dam had burst, releasing a torrent of emotions that had been pent up for far too long. Sally's voice trembled as she recounted her fears of inadequacy, how the chaos and spontaneity were a defense mechanism against her insecurities. I listened, my heart aching as I realized the extent of the pain she'd been carrying beneath her facade of confidence. In turn, I confessed my frustrations and the bitterness that had fueled my revenge-driven actions. I spoke of my need for structure and organization and how the minor irritations had snowballed into a battlefield of pranks and provocations. As we delved deeper into our stories, we began to see the factors that had contributed to the growing discord. Our differences in personalities and habits, once seen as quirks, were now revealed as sources of friction. It was a moment of clarity as if we were finally seeing each other for who we truly were. Flawed individuals trying to navigate the complexities of college life. The conversation was not without its difficult moments. There were tears and moments of silence as we grappled with the reality of the situation, but through it all, there was a sense of catharsis, a purging of the emotions that had held us captive for so long. As the conversation drew to a close, we faced a choice. The story could end with a reconciled relationship where Sally and I found common ground and decided to move forward with a newfound understanding and empathy. Our differences could become bridges instead of barriers, and our shared experiences could strengthen our bond rather than weaken it. Alternatively, the story could conclude with a sense of regret, and we would never make up for the lost time. But in the end, the conversation served as a turning point leading us both down a path of personal growth and self-reflection. While our relationship might not be fully mended at that period, we each realized that life was more than we knew it, and that there were better ways to accommodate people when their ways of life do not align with yours. More importantly, I guess we drew the curtain on being a pain in someone else's butt, 
just because they were slightly unfair to you and making it under the guise of pranks. We ended the school year as we tried to move on from the hurt we caused each other, and although we had no plans on being roommates for the next year or renting an apartment off campus together, it put things in perspective for me. Never have a roommate or a partner that does not align with the basic things that shape your life. So I kind of generally agree with what OP said at the end here, but there are a lot of situations where you kind of just don't get to pick. How many dorm room situations where you do share a dorm with somebody do you actually get allowed to pick? I'm not saying that there aren't places like that, but I feel like I hear more about places where you just kind of get what you get. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.